schedule it's only been a few days since our last episode yeah you know we gotta work around those holidays yeah honestly it's gonna be messing up our recording schedule these we're gonna be we're gonna be in the studio on christmas morning <laughs> <laughs> yeah. bringing you those gifts yeah that's true <laughs> yeah we we do it for our fans i think that that weekend that we were referring to last week where i was gone and away at penn state i think that's finally gotten to me i'm now sick <laughs> so you can probably hear that in my voice a little bit but you know at least you know what the precursor was yeah yeah, no. This is your uh, this is your special Thanksgiving episode. You can play this at the dinner table and with your you family. Yeah, if you don't, I'm gonna play this at the dinner table. Yeah, you're gonna play this at your dinner table. Uh huh. And if our listeners don't, then that's their loss. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Tipping pitches is the best Thanksgiving side, honestly. It's not really that family friendly of a podcast, but it's a family friendly podcast. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> we gotta cut down on the swearing if For we're gonna ma- do that. <laughs> For the mature families, <laughs> made of all adults. <laughs> we should do a special kids episode. Yeah, true. We just explain baseball things. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah. Or let's do live from the Little League World Series next Ooh, year. Ooh, that'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be take our a, kids Take weekend. a trip to Williamsport? Yeah, we interview a bunch of kids. Nice. Just, yeah. that'd, be, that'd be fun. Yeah. I'm down. I fuck with it. So, uh, some new developments in MLB. New-ish. We kind of saw this one coming, but... yeah. I know we say this every time, but like we really actually there was not much to talk about this week, given that we recorded like four days ago or whatever. We were kind of struggling for this one, like Googling around like minutes before turning on the mics. <laughs> yeah, but no, that'll explain why we do the segment that we do later. So yeah. just, you know, put that in your back pocket and remember this. Yeah. Remember this moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so over on NBC Sports, Craig Calcaterra. Uh, wrote about how That's good pronunciation, man. <laughs> Thanks. I follow him on Twitter, so like I, I do a mental one Does every he time I see him. Tweet out the phonetics of his name. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, you do the mental exercises every time you see someone. Yeah, like, that's like me in Italy. Every time I pass by a billboard or or like a sign that I didn't know, I just try to pronounce it in my head, and then I'd be like, that definitely isn't right. I'm gonna ask my professor about that tomorrow. <laughs> Yo, side note, this is totally off topic, but when I'm on Twitter, what I've noticed tipping pitches totally off topic. <laughs> What I've noticed is I don't even recognize people by, like, their name or their handle. It's mostly, like, their Twitter image. So when they change their picture, I get, I get totally thrown. I'm yeah. like, who? Did, do I follow this person? What's going on? We're a visual culture. We're sometimes, a visual culture. Sometimes I follow someone, and I, I did it, like, on a whim, like, really quickly, and I didn't really think much of it. Usually I put a little thought into who I follow because I, I like my timeline sort of the way it is right now, and I don't like to overflow it with everyone just saying the same thing. But every once in a while, I'll just follow someone on a whim. And then if I see them the next day in my algorithm, I'm like, I hate when Twitter just shows me stuff from people I don't follow. <laughs> and then I realize that I followed this person. And yeah. I'm like, wow, the internet and my brain are becoming one. 
It's really scary. We talk a lot about Twitter. Like, uh, like too it much. Be, it would be dishonest if we didn't talk about Twitter this much. I almost feel like... No, but I just mean in general. Like, how much it's taken over, like, our brain space. It's, like, so much of what we uh, we think about on a day-to-day basis. Uh, it's way too much. Yeah, for better or for worse. But anyway, Craig It's mostly the Calcaterra. reason we, we have a podcast. It's the reason that you can pronounce Craig Calcaterra's name. <laughs> so true. please tell me, what did Craig Calcaterra write about on NBC Sports? So uh, he was down at the winter meetings in Florida... And he's basically saying that it's almost certain that we're going to get a pitch clock in 2018. You know, I mean, everyone knows what this is. They've been trying it out in the minor leagues for a little bit. But something like the uh, like you have 20 seconds between each pitch to like start the next one. Right. I mean, like once once the play has concluded, the pitcher has 20 seconds to like get back on the mound and throw the next one. And technically, this already exists. Like, pitchers are technically already on the clock and just not enforced. Um, it sounds like maybe that will start to be enforced more. In the minor leagues, they've had this for a couple years, and it's shaved a few minutes off the length of the game. And it sa- seems like the t- kind of thing that, like, no one really notices. <laughs> I don't really have strong feelings on this, but... No one notices it. It's out in, like, center field. Yeah. I mean, I notice it more, like between innings because i'm like yo these dudes are still in the dugout like are they just gonna shut this clock off like <laughs> they sort of um skirt around it a lot you notice if it's like fucking david price or something uh yeah but i don't think there are that many pitchers that go longer than 20 seconds i feel like this is more of a this is more of like you need to enforce the rule that they put in a few years ago where batters have to stay in the box at all times like you can't step out between pitches i feel like if they enforce that no pitcher's going to take longer than 20 seconds in between, with the exception of Pedro Baez on the Dodgers, who is, like, he takes the longest between pitches of anyone in MLB. We just need, like, the Pedro Baez rule. Honestly, <laughs> honestly they, yeah. <laughs> rules, here's my here's my hot take. Rules work better when they're named after someone. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> because then it, like, gives you this image in your mind. Like I said, we're a visual culture. It gives yeah. you this image in your mind where you're like, oh, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, yeah. it, it kind of like shames you into it. You're like, every, everyone's like, I don't want to be Pedro Baez. But it, then Pedro Baez gets a rule named after him forever, so any sh- any residual shame that he would feel, his name is literally in MLB's handbook <laughs> for the rest of eternity. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, though, this might shave off like, I don't know, two minutes off the average game time. But where the issue is, is not in between pitches. It's not... It's not pitchers taking a long time. It's, number one, long commercial breaks. We, we saw that especially in the playoffs. And number two, it's replay review. It's replay reviews taking five minutes. Yes. If you put a pitch clock, it's not a pitch clock, but if you put a like a timed clock on replay reviews as like 30 seconds, that would cut off, like, you got five minutes off of your average game time right there. Boom. Done. And you don't have to do anything else at all. All you have to do is say, this replay is only going to take 30 seconds. We're going to... Even we're gonna send a iMessage back to New York, and we're gonna say, "Was this guy out?" And they will send an iMessage back, and they'll say, "No, that's it. That's all it takes." Like, guess what? Apple already invented the the product that you need. This doesn't need to be a very convoluted, complicated dude on a headset. All this crazy stuff. Like, it could be very easy. They just press a button. It goes to some handheld device that the umpire is holding, and then it's over. I hate to use this pitch clock development as a reason to just rant about replay again, but anything. These two are inherently linked because the whole reason for the pitch clock is the timing and the fact that the games are being longer and that Rob Manfred wants to appeal to the younger Twitter generation like we were just talking about. And like you you can't do that. You can't cut off a significant amount of time just by saying pitch three seconds faster. 
I mean, I do think it would shave a few minutes off. Maybe not something that's noticeable to us. Um, but it sounds like they're going to do some other things as well. Like they're considering, you know, those split screen commercial breaks that we saw. I kind of like those. Which I'm fine with. And It's if, jarring and, the first couple times you see it because you're like, they're just... Joe yeah. Buck's reading a Wendy's ad. Yeah. Also, that'd be very weird in, in like the fourth inning of like a <laughs> June game between two last place teams. I'm like, why do I need to see what's happening on the field right Although, now? Although I really want to see like Gary, Keith, and Ron doing ad reads for some of the weird commercials that we see on like SNY these days with yeah. like the um. There's like that bed bugs commercial. This is yeah, a very the, the, specific dog that yeah. sniffs out your this bed is a very bugs. Very specifically New York thing, and no one that listens is going to get this. But there's like this bed bugs commercial in New York where. They like offer a literal dog, like an actual canine, to come to your house and sniff out the bed bugs. I want to see Gary, Keith, and Ron do that reading. <laughs> hey, yo, where's Roscoe? Where's Roscoe? Where's Roscoe? Where's Roscoe? Hey, where's Roscoe? He's working. Roscoe the bed bug dog inspects everywhere. And Bell Environmental uses chemical-free instant freeze to treat homes and offices. Safe and thorough bed bug solutions. <laughs> well, like, yeah, we got to find that. Link to it in the description. All right. Yeah, so, well, actually, so this is from the middle of this past year, but it seems like just 30 pitchers in the majors average under 20 seconds between pitches really which is wild um but like no one averages over 30 though no but if you what if you cut that down to like 15 uh, i'm trying to do the math in my head right now <laughs> i don't know i mean i i think that you could again these are all like really small steps but like i'm not opposed to the idea right i agree with you the replays we need that and if we you know, I would love to see Manfred come around on that sort of thing in combination with all these other things because the, that it, would make a sizable difference. It's not going to go in reverse for replay. It's only going to go to yes, more obviously, more obviously. I sort of feel like pitchers would pitch faster than twenty seconds if the batters were in the box. You know, at least from like my watching experience, it sort of feels like the batter has like one foot out and is like or like digging his back foot in for like ten seconds of the play. And I, I don't know. To me, they enforced that rule for a little while for like a year. That was basically the Derek Jeter rule. You can't step out between every pitch, fix both of your gloves, take your helmet off, spit into the ground, put your helmet back on, fix both of your gloves again, and then dig your foot into the back of the box for five more seconds. I think if they enforced that again, I don't know. To me, that would it did work for the year that they did it, so I don't know why they stopped doing it. It's a very easy thing to enforce. If players were not like protesting during the games when they were enforcing it for a year i don't i don't think that players are going to be really that offended by it is it really that much harder to swing 10 seconds earlier it's not like we're not we're not asking you to like run the decathlon here dude like it's not that hard <laughs> yeah i'm in agreement frankly i'm these are all really just kind of band-aids to the problem. I mean, baseball games are really yeah. only going to get longer. <laughs> and, it's sort of like a sinking ship, and we're just trying to like bucket water out the side. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I'm I'm not opposed to this. It's just fine. If it does cut a few minutes off the game, great, because baseball games are literally longer than they have ever been. So it feels like we need to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that brings us to our next topic. Yeah. This one, uh, this one is fun. This one sounds is right up our alley. <laughs> um, Jared Diamond, who is a uh, is a baseball writer for the Wall Street Journal. 
I'm glad you pay for the Wall Street Journal because if you didn't, then we would have never talked about this. Yep, basically. I certainly don't pay for the Wall Street <laughs> Journal. <laughs> um, he wrote an article about how baseball is making the shift toward the headline is baseball wants kinder, gentler managers. Um, and how I we're... love the picture. <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> the picture is Dave Roberts and Alex Cora hugging. Yeah. And it's basically about how we're seeing the shift away from like the gruff, like rough around the edges manager who's like the, you know, the Joe Girardis of the game. Um, the like Lou Pinella. Yeah, the the Dusty Baker, John Farrell, right? I mean, all these guys just lost their jobs, basically, kind of in this shift towards the more um, clubhouse-oriented guy, uh, the the guy who is in touch with the players and kind of knows the chemistry aspect of it. And He's got baseball EQ, not baseball IQ. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I took a psychology class once in high school and then once also in college. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think, I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on this? I'm, I certainly think that this is a trend that we're seeing. This is not quantifiable in any way but if you look at some of the more recent managerial hirings it's definitely like the guy who is more progressive in his thinking and and is you know stats oriented but also is kind of in touch with the players and and serves to be that mediator as opposed to just be like the you know the drill sergeant in the dugout and be like oh go you know first to third like hustle out like hard nose like yeah i sort of feel like this is a trend society-wide just like in the workplace in general um if you look at like newer age this might be and this might be biased because uh because we're like going into the media field but if you look at newer age media companies there's a lot more emphasis on things like uh workplace environment um like don't be an asshole kind of rules and just the ability to like work collectively in a space and i know that sort of sounds like a very millennial phrase to say but i do feel like that can be beneficial um, especially in something like sports where I, we've talked about team chemistry kind of like more than you would think that we have t- would have talked about it to this point for two kids that are relatively um, statistically oriented. But the team chemistry is a real thing in a clubhouse. And you've seen in the past just like th- there's always that phrase like a team burns out from a manager. And I feel like with with this kind of this kind of managing style where it's touchy feely <laughs> or like um, kinder, gentler. Um, a lot more focused on the relationship between the players and the coaches and um, really taking in a lot of data about like this sort of goes hand in hand with like the data revolution in terms of like the personalized data revolution, taking in the data about when that player needs rest, taking in the data about um, how they've been sleeping and how they've been eating and things like that. I feel like this kind of manager is a lot more geared towards internalizing that data and putting it towards a relationship with the player. Whereas some of the guys that we mentioned before might be a lot more like, you have to put in X amount of work to be this good. And I don't really know if that's the best way. I mean, we're yet to see because we, we haven't really seen the entire league go to like this kinder, gentler, player-friendly kind of manager yet. So we'll see if it works out in the long term. But at least to me, if I were a player, I would much prefer a manager who wants to have a relationship who's not making me run uh, wind sprints for no reason like these guys train all off season now in a way that they didn't before so they don't need to be they don't need to have a drill sergeant at the helm during the year because they probably pay a guy to be a drill sergeant in the off season for them yeah i think that 
again, I'm I'm not saying that all of this comes back to Joe Madden, but he kind of feels like that first wave of like the new age manager, you know? I mean, and he was like did some wacky stuff in his days with like the Rays. Yeah, the like nine equals eight thing. Yeah, and how he was like he was like bringing magicians into the clubhouse or like animals and stuff like wearing Canadian tuxedos to press conferences. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying we're gonna see a shift like that, but I do think he kind of started this new way of. I don't know, seeing how managers could relate to players. And so some of the examples given in this article are guys like Dave Martinez, who's the new Nationals manager, who worked under Joe Madden. I'm uh, sort of with, worried about the Nationals being really good this year. Yeah. And having a competent, young, statistically oriented, but also pro- player relationship oriented manager at the helm. That yeah. scares me a little bit as a Mets fan. I mean, the the Mets moved away from Terry Collins, and you talked about player burnout. I think there was that's a pretty good example of players getting burned out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it becomes intense after a while, and and when you feel like there is that much of a gap between the player and the manager, where the the manager is making all the decisions. At the end of the day, yes, the manager is making the decisions, and in a baseball clubhouse, the manager has to be making all the decisions. Otherwise, it's just anarchy, and you can't can't really have that and have a good team. But I also think the player needs to at least feel like they have an input. And they like that their input as a player, as a, their opinion, the data that they are putting forth actually matters. If you have a manager that's just repeatedly contradicting the data that the team is giving him, uh, that the team is giving him about like rest and you need to get this guy out and that kind of thing, which I, I think might have been happening with Terry Collins, just like maybe we shouldn't throw Noah Syndergaard out there with uh, bicep fatigue and then he tears his lat. I don't know. I just feel like that's. It's more constructive where at least the player feels like he is his being heard. And to me, it's like a, the difference between if you like watch an old timey newspaper TV show or movie versus like how you imagine like a place like BuzzFeed or The Ringer working now, <laughs> where like the boss is just kind of like sitting there on the same floor as you. They don't have a corner office necessarily where they're like closed off from the rest of the office. I mean, to me, it's sort of like that migration away from that idea i mean i don't want to negate the dynamic of like the boss versus the worker because i think that dichotomy still exists nah, no bosses knock down the walls <laughs> this is silicon valley <laughs> i mean i i'm i'm all into no bosses but i think that bosses <laughs> are very still real but uh but you know he he quotes a couple gms even um like mike rizzo who is asked why they hired martinez um, and he said that he wants somebody that can relate to all sorts of players or dave dombrowski asked about alex cora he wants someone who, quote, connects with the players, um, has the ability to motivate, is able to communicate with the front office, with ownership in the media, uh, and he's bilingual. And so you, not even stuff about, like, he's a real baseball mind. Um, he is a, uh, you know, he's a he's really a student of the game and all this stuff. It's like, no, he's someone who can actually forge that connection with players and make the players feel like they're in an environment where they can succeed and be the very best, which is, I think, really important just kind of in this day and age. The bilingual one is gigantic. I can't believe we haven't seen more of a premium put on that. Just because, I mean, that speaks to like the inherent whiteness of baseball, but also being bilingual as a manager is Next to like knowing how to play baseball, that's probably the second most important thing because you have, in many cases, a clubhouse that is half English speaking, half primarily Spanish speaking. And we've talked about probably more than any podcast in the country, <laughs> just the idea of like how difficult it is to transition into from being a primarily Spanish speaking player into trying to learn enough English to be comfortable around the clubhouse and, and in interviews and things like that. But if you have a manager 
that actually speaks your language, not even, we're not even talking about figuratively, actually speaks your language. I can't even imagine what that must be like for a player um, and how useful of a tool that would be for a manager. So it doesn't make sense to me that not every single manager in MLB has to speak, has to speak English and Spanish. There are only 30 of these positions in the world. It feels like they could find 30 guys who know enough about baseball who also speak Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> We've had a long history of baseball. I feel like we could find some. But yeah, so I think this is just kind of an interesting thing to keep an eye on. I don't think we're going to really be able to say, yes, this works, or no, it doesn't anytime soon. How many years before all the managers just sit around and sing Kumbaya <laughs> <laughs> around a campfire Yeah, true. all the pitchers mound? <laughs> Yo, we're going to get managers on Twitter one of these days. Guys who just... Uh... Are there any managers who have Twitters? I don't know if there I are any... I can't think of I... a tweet that I saw from a manager ever. N- I feel like if anyone has one, it's probably Joe Madden, <laughs> but I don't know if he uses it. Anyway, um, but before we just start reading off managers' Twitters... Joe Madden does have a Twitter. He has 401,000 followers. And he actually like kind of tweets a little bit. It's All exactly right. what you would expect yeah, it to be. Yeah, it's exactly what you expect. Anyway, oh, my God. What? He's got the he's got the profile picture with dogs. Yo, he's a true Twitter king. Damn. Joe Madden the God. Yeah. All right, let's move on. The uh, last thing that we wanted to talk about, um, a little closer to home. About like a week ago, um, there was a story from Mark Craig of Newsday. Shout out to Newsday. Shout out to Mark Craig. Just talking about how the Mets plan to sort of mix up their pitcher usage in 2018 and really put a put a focus on the things, the data that they know about how pitchers decline third time through the order and use what is what is a stat cast thing called track man data, which which follows things like a pitcher's velocity drop, uh, spin rate, the movement of their pitches and their arm slot and that kind of thing to really judge when when a pitcher is starting to hit that wall in the game and get them out immediately because the hook was really slow. I know Craig brought up uh, Seth Lugo a bunch of times in these articles that he's been writing about this, just how third time through the order, it would roll around like the sixth or seventh inning and he would be having a really good start and then all of a sudden he'd give up a leadoff hit and then give up a walk and then they would get the bullpen going and it would be too late for the bullpen to come in. So really things like getting the bullpen ready in advance of seeing the guy start to struggle. But yeah, I mean, it's nice to see the Mets that are actually, it's nice to see that the Mets are actually coming into the 21st century and using this data. But yeah, do you have anything to add with that? Or or what are your thoughts on just like the the young arms and how that they can adapt with the, the main focus of this team is their starting pitching. So in theory, this is diminishing how often they're using their starting pitching. So how do they use this in a way that is beneficial to both the competitiveness of the team and also the health of the starting pitchers. Well, I think that it's interesting given just kind of what we've discussed on this podcast before about trends in pitcher usage league wide. Uh, you know, we had a conversation a few weeks back and really in our only real disagreement we've ever had on this podcast. Not even on this podcast, just in life. In general, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that and the DH, which we'll we'll talk about oh one of these God. days. <laughs> that was a little red herring for all y'all. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, we were, I was arguing that we might start to see this, the way that bullpens are used in the playoffs could start to bleed over into the regular season. And I think that this is one of the first on the record um, acknowledgments that maybe the way that we are using our starting pitchers right now isn't working. And certainly this is very team-specific. Uh, Karig 
lists the, like opponent OPSs like per times through the order. And guys like Harvey's was, you know, a thousand. Um, yeah, Gesellman's was 966. Lugo's was 929. A lot of these guys are really bad the third time through the order. <laughs> like, awful. Le- I-, I mean, so, so league average third time through the order for OPS is around like 800-ish, which is... If you were ha- if you had an 800 OPS allowed as a pitcher all the time, you just wouldn't be a starting pitcher in MLB. Yeah. So it was already bad for every pitcher league wide third time through the order. And these guys are up in the 900s and in the thousand range. That's like that's like throwing a minor league pitcher out there against like the Astros lineup, basically. Yeah. yeah. So I think that this just kind of connects to that. I don't know. It's this is not something that the Mets are the first to do. Um, I think it certainly really makes sense for their position in particular. And this article talks about how this isn't necessarily going to be extended to Cindergard and Degrom because you don't really need to do that with them. Um, Cindergard literally gets better the third time through the order. Cindergard um, doesn't count. He's an alien. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think that. I think it's interesting. I'm I'm curious to see what they're going to do with like what they have available cuz like they don't really have a lot of money available for them to use and the in terms of like relievers on the free agent market it's not great. But like they're literally crafting there are a few relievers on the free agent market. There's, it's like Wade Davis and then like everyone else. There's uh Brandon Morrow's on the free agent market and he proved that he can go a couple innings. Yeah, but they also they, they have like 30 million to spend this year, which is okay. not They have 30 million to spend this year, but they should actually Okay, but are they going to? Uh, I know it's I know it's frustrating, but like I, I don't know. Uh, it's, the, that's what's frustrating to me is that you can say all these bullshit plans all you want, but then if you don't actually write the checks for it, then I don't know why. How do they? They're not. What is Josh Smoker just going to be their their <laughs> fireman out of the bullpen? Like that's not going to happen. Like yeah. you actually have to have the players to execute these strategies. And guess what? They do have the pitchers. They're just all starting pitchers. Yeah. So, like, you actually have to bolster. I mean, they made good trades for young, controllable arms, and they got young, hard-throwing, controllable arms, which, in theory, would help for this. And they also got A.J. Ramos, who's a solid reliever um, in a trade with the Marlins. But, I don't know, you can't just have a bunch of bums throwing 98 right down the middle because they've ha- they have starting pitchers who already throw 98, so it's not like they're catching the other team's offense off guard. Well, and again, I brought this up last time, but, like, I wonder if they look more to some of their starting pitchers as being those guys who come in in like the fifth or sixth inning. You know, if Seth Lugo can only go four and two thirds because he's, you know, it looks like he's wearing down or you don't want him to face the top of the Nationals order again, maybe that's where you bring in Wheeler or Gesellman, right? Not that these are your top of the line uh, mop-up guys that you want, but they are hard throwing. I think Wheeler could be a top of the line mop-up guy I if think he could he, throw strikes. Yeah. He just can't. So you can't really have him as a reliever because he can't. His command is not good enough right now. Well, but you I can't see what have you're him as a starter either. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you don't have command, you can't have him as a pitcher. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just I'm saying think, I think you would get even worse bringing him in in a situation where yes, if yeah, you yeah. walk someone, then a run's coming in. Yeah. I mean, they're adding. You know, they're going to carry eight relievers instead of seven this year, which is just kind of a change in itself, and it's going to force them to look at more like position versatility as well. Guys who can bounce around a little bit because it'll be short um like a bench player the other thing that was interesting about one of these articles that he wrote is how like mickey calloway uh, responded to it and where alderson was like yeah we're looking at this data and there is going to be this shift towards 
with a quicker hook, <laughs> Mickey Calloway was like, yeah, I mean, we'll see how they're doing. Um, so I'm interested to see how this kind of plays out. I sort of feel like this is an engineered quasi disagreement just so it sort of seems like mickey calloway standing up for his starters like you guys are going to go as long as you need yeah. and he's being that um kinder gentler more accepting <laughs> manager that we were just talking about but when it really comes down to it i mean no one's going to complain they, they might complain in the moment about having a quicker hook but you show them data where it's like your era is better for this they'll be like all right well i'm getting more money at the end of this yeah so i think it's something to watch uh for the mets in particular just because they have outright admitted to this. I think the Rays have kind of been doing this sort of thing for a few years also. The uh, Indians did it well too. I mean, they had they had the ultimate yeah, fireman guy. The best come reliever in, yeah, in baseball. And Andrew Miller. But, you know, maybe uh, maybe they start to use a guy like Jerry Blevins like that more. Because I'm sick of seeing Jerry Blevins just coming in the seventh inning with the Mets down three. Like, <laughs> that's a waste. Yeah. He was their best reliever over the whole course of last year. And they have Familia back. I don't know what that necessarily means for this strategy, but at least he can anchor the back of the bullpen since they seem dead set on using him for saves, which is frustrating in, in its own right. But it's yeah, it's like it's very weird because like it's on the one hand it's this like progressive new way of thinking about like how to use your pitchers so that you are getting the most out of them, and on the other hand it's like, but but this guy can literally only pitch the ninth inning. But also this is such a low bar to clear. This isn't even that progressive of a thing to think to say. We're going to yank these guys before the third time through the order. The Dodgers have been doing that for like three years. Like only Clayton Kershaw has been going past the third time through the order for the last yeah. like three or four years for the Dodgers. And he's the best pitcher of this generation. So they figured it out. And baseball writers at places like Fangraphs and Baseball Prospectus and smart baseball writers across the country have noticed this and have been writing about it for a long time and then writing about the dip in some pitchers third time through the order and how some are better, some are worse, some are terrible, some are like Syndergaard freakishly better third time through the order. But like the data is there. I invite you to just Google Fangraph's website and go to it. <laughs> like why are the people in the Mets front office not capable of going to Fangraph's and just looking at numbers? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's just something to watch. How does the Mets bullpen fare this year? What is their workload looking like? When are starters coming out? How many innings are their relievers going? Because I, you know, I I remain firm in my position that I think that that it is kind of something that's going to bleed over into the regular season a little more. This this yeah. kind of new way of how do we use relievers and starters in tandem? So also, I think I know I just yelled at the Mets for not being able to go to Fangraphs, but <laughs> I think the more revolutionary aspect of it, or the or the more modern aspect of it, is all the like pitch tracking data that are going to go into these decisions, like real-time data coming in from that TrackMan um, data that StatCast now offers them. Yeah. Uh, and just like the... There was a line in um, the most recent Craig article that was talking about a 20% drop in spin rate for one pitcher might mean one thing, but for another pitcher, it might not actually be a sign of fatigue. And just the ability to chart what it means for each individual pitcher and and individualized data for these guys as opposed to just saying we have five young arms let's apply this strategy to all of them i think that is where more where they're modernizing and and getting with it a little bit so i'm excited to see how it plays out maybe i won't be quite as excited when the season rolls around and the bullpen is bad again but yeah we may have totally forgotten about this because sandy alderson like in may is gonna be like uh, it's not working out <laughs> blow it up Syndergaard throw a complete game every time <laughs> alright um, when we come back a very silly much less serious much less baseball focused segment <laughs> 
right, Bobby. We uh we haven't really done a, a silly segment in a while. It's been it's been since I don't know August since all asshole team. Yeah, since we've done something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so this feels nice. Um, during the uh, during the playoffs, we were marveling at some players who we noted looked like if they really wanted to. They could probably gentrify Brooklyn pretty well. <laughs> like they could fit right in riding that L train to Manhattan or who you find out at a dive bar on a Friday night. Disclaimer, we ride that L train into Manhattan and yes. also live in Brooklyn. We are also these people. Yes. But that's how we know them. That's we how we see them. <laughs> we don't necessarily <laughs> look like these people, though. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's why we came up with the idea. Why don't we put together a little collection of these guys, create the uh, the all-gentrification team. Yeah, I believe the idea was born from that Diamondbacks-Dodgers series, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, when we were just sitting there watching crazy stuff happen. Or it might have even been born in the wild card game with the, between the Rock. I think it was the Rockies I think it was, and the Diamondbacks. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just because there's a, a whole bunch of these guys on those yeah, two Charlie teams. Blackman. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but without stepping on the toes of the actual segment... We each just came up with like five guys. <laughs> Actually, last night we just drafted guys who we wanted. Yeah, back and forth it over got... <laughs> text. It was like, all right, you go first. It got kind of heated. <laughs> like, you're on the clock. I see him like the little typing message. I know. I was out. like, who's he going to pick? Who's oh, he going to pick? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, without further ado. we I was going to say, we um we tried to put together like a roster. And it's just really hard because the weirdest guys in baseball are all pitchers. Disclaimer, they're all relievers. Yeah, straight like, up every single one of them. <laughs> I mean, we have some position players on here, but like, I tried to put together a lineup and got halfway through and was like, I'm just picking guys who like look kind of cute now. We would have had like Sean Doolittle playing like shortstop <laughs> if we had to come up with a lineup card. <laughs> so anyway, without further ado, here is your 2017 all gentrification team. Hopefully this is something that we can revisit in the future. This feels like a pretty evergreen idea. Yeah, definitely. Gentrification, not going away. Definitely. We- weird relievers, not <laughs> going away. <laughs> All right, you want to kick it off? All right. But wait, wait, wait. Before we get started, if you're listening along at home and you want to see these guys and you're not freakish baseball fans like we are and you don't know what every single <laughs> baseball player looks like or every weird relief relief pitchers for the Tigers and Diamondbacks look like, we did make a blog post over at tippingpitches.atavis.com. It should be right at the top there, but we'll link to it in the description as well, and you can sort of scroll along with us as we talk about the ways that these dudes are gentrifying our neighborhoods. Yeah, hopefully by the time this podcast is up, we will <laughs> we will have our list of guys with photos that you can, uh, you can just take a look at. So. But anyway, continue. This first guy you will absolutely see walking down the streets of Bushwick, hands down, no doubt about it, Daniel Norris. Uh, he is a, if you don't know, he's a reliever or he's, he's my a favorite. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know, he's a pitcher for the Tigers. Um, he came over from the Toronto Blue Jays and was like a top prospect over there. It was like one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball, but he came to the national focus in an ESPN profile of him that talked about how he was living out of his van, literally like in the parking lot of a Walmart, he would just fucking live out of his van and like make breakfast there and do pull-ups in the parking lot. Of course, this was written by Eli Saslow. Yeah. Um, and just, we'll use this picture for the blog post, but it's literally like <laughs> him. A frying pan. He's holding his frying pan. <laughs> like a VW van. <laughs> like beer cans in the back. And like, it's literally a VW. And there's like a sleeping bag in here. I don't know, man. A pretty it's, safe bet for whether someone could make this team is... How blurred is the line between being in a punk rock band and being an MLB? <laughs> yeah. 
he's got the he's got the requisite scruff going too. You could definitely see this guy hanging out at a at like a punk club in Brooklyn. Yeah, or even just like one of those bars on our street. Like he's just standing outside having a cigarette. Yeah, but he hand rolled the cigarette. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, he um he moved to Brooklyn because uh, he just liked the. That's where all like the cool people were, man. And like sometimes he goes over to Williamsburg a little bit and uh, and shops around at like a record store. Yeah, but only like the DIY record stores. Yeah, not like, like the labels. Oh God, no. No, no, no. The records have to have like. You know, it has to be like a little roughed up around the edges of the the cover and everything. Yeah, he absolutely only drinks PBR. That is his. That is the one beer he will drink, and he will not stray from it. You're saying this to people. I guess you 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 drink your fancy ass IPAs, but I'm I'm perfectly happy just buying the cheap PBR. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong, I am too. But um, that's usually the party move. Yeah, but Daniel and no- Alex show up to a party an hour and a half late with thirty PBRs. <laughs> hey, we're here. Sorry, we're late. <laughs> yeah. So. This is, he's literally, they call him the van man. He's the van man. Daniel Norris, the van man, definitely definitely lives in Bushwick. Colin, van man, (laughs) lives in Bushwick. Okay, my first guy. This was the guy that actually spurred the idea um, while we were watching that Diamondbacks Rockies wildcard game, and that is Archie Bradley. So we were watching that game, and if you'll remember, Archie Bradley bizarrely hit a triple in that game, (laughs) and as he was running to third and sliding in, his helmet popped off, revealing what is a beautifully perfect fade crop haircut where the top is combed over and he has that ridiculous um like eye brew beer beard and we just looked at each other and we were like does Archie Bradley live in Bushwick like does he live in the apartment across from us like <laughs> like is he brewing his own beer in his backyard <laughs> yeah so Archie Bradley he was the one who kind of birthed this idea but he has this beautiful big red beard and he sort of just looks like one of those guys who um has taken the Brooklyn Brewery tour several times, and each time he's like trying to pick up pointers from the tour guide, like he, <laughs> for how he can improve his brewing. And he co- he goes over to the tour guide probably like five minutes in, puts his arm around the guy, and he's like, "Yeah, so I was here like a couple weeks back, and I had a different tour guide, but you know, he gave me some good pointers. Like if you want to just look over to me, and make eye contact at any point in the tour, and just be like, Yo, Archie, man, I got you, I got you for this.' Like, feel free to, man, and we can like hook up and get." Uh, like a cold brew after this. Yeah, no, he's he's the guy who like finishes the tour guide sentences. Like like the tour guide's talking about like what this is made of, it's and he just like important. cuts in cuts in halfway through and is like, yeah, you could do it that way, but like at home, like I do it this other way. Like if any of y'all want to come talk to me afterwards, I literally took a pickaxe and knocked out all the concrete on my back patio so that I could have a little green space to to grow my own hops, bro. Yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> that's Archie Bradley. So that's why he moved. Um, out to Brooklyn. He digs Bushwick, but he sort of feels like it's becoming a little more art-focused, and that's not really what he's about. So, you know, he moved out to Red Hook because he digs Ikea as well, and he likes to DIY, build his own furniture and stuff. Yeah, but he absolutely wears uh, way too tight, ripped black skinny jeans. Yes. Like, 100%. But he, like, cuffs them all the way up to the, uh, like, right below the knee, and he wears flip-flops. Oh, yeah, it's like mid-shins right there. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and, and, a, and a white shirt that's, like, too big that has holes in it. And a pocket. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, you're up next. <laughs> um, all right, this next guy. So just a disclaimer, like the majority of the guys on my list have played for the A's at one point or another, but that's mostly just because the A's are really weird. Um, my next guy is John Axford. And you kind of have to look at the picture, look at a picture of him to really get it. But like he's got the mustache, certainly. Um, he was really rocking it when he was with the Brewers. Uh, he kind of like curls up at the wild. end. <laughs> he looks like straight out of a Wes Anderson film. Yeah, actually, though, 
his Twitter bio is mustache and film aficionado. And I don't know if you know this about him, but he's like an actual like hardcore film watcher. Like, John Axford saw the artist three times in theaters. No, like actually, <laughs> like he does Oscar predictions every year. Like that's his thing. He absolutely moved out to Brooklyn just because he wanted to be by the Alamo Draft House because that's his favorite place to watch a movie because it's like communal, man, and it's really chill and you can just kick back with your beer and uh, and watch a film. And it's not a movie, it's a film. Oh, I I was at Penn so I was at Penn State last weekend and we were just talking about NYU and, and elitism and a place like NYU versus a state school like Penn State and they were like, well, if I wanted to like fit in at NYU, what would be like the first thing I'd have to do? And I was like, well, the first thing that you have to do is you'd never call anything a movie. You call everything a film. <laughs> and like that, basically that means you're in Tish. It's very true. <laughs> yeah. So John Axford like came to Tish and he was like, I hate this Manhattan vibe. It's messing with me. Yeah. Disclaimer. I love the Alamo Draft House. It's a great place. Oh, Alamo Draft House is amazing. Disclaimer for this entire segment, we do all of these things. <laughs> like we apart from beer brew, like we're to a T like these people. <laughs> Character caricatures. Um but yeah, John Axford, he digs it. He loves the art scene out here, just for the record. Yeah, the and he like out. he likes himself like a DIY indie movie, you know, that's like plays on Vimeo. Like that's his shit. Yeah. He's really upset that Tarantino went big because he was cool back <laughs> in the day. <laughs> All right, who you got? I'm going to go next with our boy, Pat Neshek, and I'm going to keep this one tight because we, <laughs> we've spent a lot of airtime talking about Pat Neshek on the show. But, yeah, Pat Neshek came out here for the um, because his like professional sports signatures club meets out in Park Slope, and he wanted to be a lot closer to them because while they do have a lot of money and he's like sort of not really down with that, like they are the best signature collection group out in the business, and he has to put aside dealing with these people from time to time just to talk about the signatures and to really marvel over their collections and share his own work that he's put together over the course of his career. So, you know, uh, look back on previous episodes talking about Pat Neshek and, and how kind of nuts he is about getting signatures and you'll sort of understand more what I'm vibing with his moving out to Brooklyn. But he also has the look to go along with it. He looks like a Brooklyn dad to me. <laughs> so you can sort of start a family out here in Park Slope. So Yeah, I right. feel that. Who you got next? Um, my next guy is... John Jaso. Again, most of these make sense when you look at them, but John Jaso. Yeah, I really (laughs) recommend if you have not opened the page yet and are not following along with us, you need to do it because you'll be laughing as hard as we are, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows if this is funny to anyone else, but this is hilarious to us. And it's our damn podcast. Um, John Jaso has dreads like no other. And he's white. Which, first of all, yeah, (laughs) why? (laughs) Um, But John Jaso moved out to Brooklyn because, like, I don't know, man, he just, like, wanted to get away from it all, man. And, like, the city is just, like, suffocating. And there's just not enough space to, like, kind of be yourself and get in touch with the world around you. And uh, and his weed dealer lives close by, and uh, he ha- actually has a yoga studio his right weed around. Weed dealer was charging him more for that commute to come meet him in Union Square. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has a yoga spot around the corner that he goes to. Hot yoga. Yeah, and also he can he can burn his incense in Brooklyn and not get complaints about it. Yeah, and the only reason he goes back to Manhattan is to do Soul Cycle. <laughs> <laughs> John Jaso is the guy who, um, at the end of the season, said he's probably going to retire because he just wants to kind of get a boat and float away. And uh, and yeah, I feel like that fits that fits with the picture. I don't know what that means, but I do know that it's Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's into it. All right. Uh, next up for me is Hunter Pence because 
So so very in a very spiritual sense, he fits in Brooklyn just because he's a he's a very weird guy. The way yeah. the way his game plays is uh, sort of bizarre. He's like very like hunched over. He doesn't do anything fundamentally correct. But he does everything well still, which I feel like is a very Brooklyn thing to do. Like, I just came, like, I wasn't vibing in Manhattan. People were giving me weird looks for doing things differently. I came out to Brooklyn. I could just be myself. And they were just vibing with how I was doing everything well. But also, (laughs) Hunter Pence, during the 2013, I'm just going to read from his Wikipedia page. During the 2013 season, Pence kept to a strict Paleolithic diet. (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, to me, it's like, he came out to Brooklyn so he could find all those hot vegan spots where he could just, like, but not like a vegan spot where you could just get something to go and go sit in the park and eat. He wanted the vegan spot where you could like go, sit down, take your time, collab with the other people that were in the vegan spot. Just about life, man. Like a life collab while no. you're sitting down eating your, uh, I don't know, kale smoothie. He goes to the community garden in. He actually uh, brings in, his in own vegetables every to weekend. the vegan spot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to like just talk with other people and ride his scooter around Brooklyn because like. I don't know. It's more environmentally conscious, man. And yeah, fuck it. He just likes his vegetables. And so yeah. he rides a scooter to the community garden and he just chills there for the afternoon. Yeah. I sort of love it. I, I really like Hunter Pence. I'm glad he's not in the Phillies anymore because it was very frustrating for me to be like, this dude doesn't know how to do any baseball things, but he's also punishing my team. Yeah. So I'm glad that he's not on the Phillies. It sort of sucks that he's on the Giants, but I'm glad he's like out there in his little world in san francisco he probably he probably vibes with the paleolithic aspect of it oh my god you know he abs he no pun intended he eats that up all right who you got next we each have two more. Yeah. This next guy is, uh, I'm going to go with Sean Doolittle. Love him. And actually, I want to say that I think he uh, he was rocking the beard and combed over hair before Archie Bradley was. I think Archie Bradley took a cue from him. But uh, The beard and combed over hair was just like an automatic, like if you have that, you're yeah. basically in the squad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So Sean Doolittle mostly moved out here because this is where he could see his favorite small metal bands um i'm not kidding that he's a metalhead but yeah he's a uh, he's got the little clubs out here that he likes to hit up and uh and also he's good at twitter which is i don't know there's something about i feel like manhattan people just aren't as good at that sort of thing man you know like manhattan's very like straight shirt and like uh head down and forward and brooklyn's like wacky and weird and it's like nah i'm just gonna fuck around on weird twitter tonight and it's like gonna be cool that's mostly what i think about that yeah yeah, Sean, Sean Doolittle absolutely has his uh, his Crown Heights apartment and he, has no shame about it. He's also like a sort of an activist, right? Like he yeah. he like stumps for veterans' rights in a like like a socially conscious way. Yeah, which is cool. And I feel like yeah, and LGBTQ rights too. Yeah, I feel like in Brooklyn he could like sort of go to community board meetings and really hash it out with some of the people and come up with a collaborative solution. Yeah, so, I'm into it. Yeah, I'm totally. He also he even dresses it like honestly. He actually he actually does have the skinny jeans and flannel. Like he actually already wears that. So I don't know. He's taking some cues from Oakland. I think is what he's when doing. When he finishes career, when he finishes his career with the Mets, because all A's relievers somehow finish their career with the Mets or come to the Mets at some point. Yeah, uh, he'll definitely live out here in Bushwick with yep. us, just like in our apartment. Yeah, Yo, Sean, 
if you're listening, <laughs> come live with the squad. Yo, Sean, join the Democratic Socialists of America. <laughs> <laughs> Be a card-carrying member like Alex. <laughs> also, come on the podcast. Anyway, yeah. my next one, kind of a weird carbon copy of Archie Bradley, but he like does it on a bigger level, <laughs> is Dallas Keuchel. <laughs> Dallas Keuchel has the, like, he takes the hat off and somehow the hair is still perfectly combed over and it and it just looks like he came straight out of the uh straight out of the barbershop. My boy Dallas moved out to Brooklyn because he was sick in Manhattan of when he would order at Starbucks or any coffee shop and they would ask him his name and he would say Dallas and they would laugh. They would do a little chuckle a little bit. But when he came out to Brooklyn he found that when they asked him his name and he said Dallas, they sort of gave him a little nod and they were like, Tight bro tight <laughs> i'm vibing with it i'm vibing with that name is that really your name or is that just where your spirit lies <laughs> <laughs> and so he also loves the fact that in brooklyn he has a little more space to um keep all of his like beard and hair equipment you know like he has like the whole uh the beard set where you have like the scissors and the the little uh, the combs and everything and all that stuff and he just didn't have enough space for that in his manhattan apartment so he really digs he, – he came out to Bush, Bushwick with us also. He really digs – like, he has a little more space <laughs> that he can just, like, comb up his beard a little bit and, and then get some sunlight and really enjoy life a little more than in Manhattan where it's a little dreary and all of his beard stuff was kind of getting knocked over in the bathroom <laughs> by his roommates. <laughs> anyway, who you got next? All right. My last one. And this is a, this is a little out of the mold of the rest of the guys. But this last guy – Bryce Harper. Yes. Yeah. He definitely, <laughs> yes. like, not in the I moved out to Brooklyn because, like, I really dug the art and the music scene. He was like, nah, I moved out here because, like, I wanted to save some money. And shit, man, like, stuff is just, like, nicer out here. Like, this is the hip place to be now. Like, he totally moved here not because he actually liked what was going on. He was just like, Ah, stuff's more expensive and it's pretty good. I like it. Also, there's a lot of white people, so I'm into that sort of thing. Like, he lives in Williamsburg, hands down. Oh, uh, yeah. He's definitely like that finance bro that was like, man, they're really uh, they're really bending me over with these prices in Fidei. I'm just going to move out to uh, Williamsburg and get a little bit more of a deal, you know? Yeah. He's like the second wave gentrifiers. Like, he's trying to gentrify the people who are already gentrifying. Yeah. The, like, the art and music scene. But, like, he doesn't really, like, stay in Brooklyn very much because he really likes Manhattan. Because that's where he can, I don't know, he can hang out around Wall Street and, like, pick up on, like, cute girls or just, or just like, <laughs> pal around the East Village with his finance bros in his, in his suit after work. Yeah, he just didn't want to live with Manhattan based on principle. It's yeah. principle alone, man. It has nothing to do with the vibe. It's just principle. Yeah, basically. Also, he absolutely has an artisanal um, beard grooming shop that he really likes to go to because you know he doesn't do that on his own. He absolutely <laughs> goes and gets his like haircut um, and pays like three hundred dollars for it. And they yeah. like they individually like straighten every beard hair and like cut it with a little tiny scissor that's like razor sharp. Yeah. Also, you're forgetting the aspect of his Brooklyn apartment has a lot more natural lighting than his Manhattan apartment did, which is really great for his shirtless selfies. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the only photography he's into. Yeah. Okay, your last one. Okay, my last guy. And maybe, who knows, maybe he did live in Brooklyn when he was on the Mets. My last guy is R.A. Dickey. And he's not moving out to Brooklyn because he's, like, particularly down for, like, the art scene or anything like that. Or even, like, he's not into, like, the craft brews or anything like that. Ari Dickey's moving out to Brooklyn because it's really just, it's great for his mental health. He just needs to get away from the hustle and bustle of 
Manhattan. So he's moving out to like the further parts of Brooklyn. Let me just give you a little background on Ari Dickey. If you don't know, he won the Cy Young when he was with the Mets, which is sort of a ridiculous thing to say. We were kind of marveling at that before the segment. But he is a born-again Christian who climbed Kilimanjaro in the offseason because he wanted to, because it was really important to him, even though he was risking the next year of his contract to do it. Because it, if he got injured doing it, it voided the contract and he would have lost all of his money for the next year. He did it anyway, because Ari Dickey was feeling that vibe. And he also has given interviews where the person will ask him what he's reading, and he'll just turn back, and there'll be, like, books in his locker. And one of those books was Life of Pi, for, <laughs> for whatever reason. So, like, I don't know, just light mid-season reading, Life of Pi. <laughs> he named his bats. So he doesn't bat very often because he's a pitcher, and now he's in the AL, so he never bats at all. He named his bats for literary swords, like from Beowulf <laughs> and he walks up to the Game of Thrones theme song damn <laughs> he's like he's, now that, yeah go ahead he's like the guy I mean he's older so like he gentrified before like everyone else was gentrifying you know like he's lived out here for like 15 years and he has those gray streaks and he's like man like I've seen this neighborhood change and like his apartment is still like kind of cheap because they haven't been able to get him out of it because he's like screw you I've lived here for 15 years I'm not going anywhere he's wearing like a like a beat up like a hiker's hat like a hiker's ball cap it's like beat has rips on the side and he goes to his favorite breakfast spot every single morning, just comes back and kind of chills with the fam. But he also loves it out here because, like, yeah, his his Christian group, like, meets in Prospect Park, and they just, like, sit down and they talk about the struggles um, and the different personal anguish that it takes to live in a city like New York, bro. And, uh, yeah, I feel, like, I feel like my man R.A. has been out here in these streets in Brooklyn for forever. He's the OG. He was the first one. And then he, he brought the wave of the Archie Bradleys and the Pat Neshicks out here. Yeah, they were following in his in his footsteps. Also, he's a knuckleballer. Like, just <laughs> that alone, yeah, you probably live in Brooklyn. Like, that's weird on its face. He definitely has a really nice, like, loft apartment in Brooklyn, and that's where they host the book club. <laughs> <laughs> his wife is, like, really supportive of it. Like, she's in on the book club as well. And, yeah, that's how I feel. Let's be real. He like he doesn't even live in New York at all. He lives in like a small town in Wyoming or something <laughs> like that. Like he's like, nah, the big city man. I just I just don't vibe with it. I respect like, that. I need to be closer to nature. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, same. I respect the hell out of that. <laughs> Good for you, Ari Dickey. Yeah. Or I respect the heck out of that since he's a born again Christian. <laughs> <laughs> um real quick, uh our honorary manager has to be Joe Madden. Yeah. Like absolutely. I was thinking like, about that when you were talking about him earlier. Yeah, like he's the one guy who fits out here. He showed up to a press conference in like all jean, like jean jacket and jeans yeah, with Canadian like patches tuxedo. on it. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, what are you doing? That's very uh he bought that at the <laughs> He took the train into Philadelphia to buy that at the Philadelphia punk market. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he hits up L Train Vintage uh, in his off time. Yo, the jacket that I'm wearing right now is from L Train Vintage. Oh my god. It was 20 bucks and it's nice, man. <laughs> <laughs> we are this. Yeah. The only reason that we could come up with these guys is because we are this. Yeah, and therefore we're allowed to make fun of them. Because <laughs> we're, <in, laughs> we're, tr- we're, yeah, we're making fun of ourselves. We're making fun of ourselves. All right, when we come back, we're just going to finish up real quick with some fun hot takes. <laughs>
All right, before we uh, before we wrap this up. Yeah, I feel like we need to wind down from all that. I know that was a lot. That it's was a lot heavy. Of spiritual energy that it took out of me. Yeah, seriously. We got to talk about the elephant in the room, literally, because like that's about how big he is. Um, one Giancarlo <laughs> Stanton. His biceps are like elephant leg size. <laughs> Actually, like, though, fifty-nine um, home run elephant in the room. Yeah, we got to talk about Giancarlo Stanton because there's been a lot of talk about where is he going to go this off season. The Marlins are like, it's very likely they're probably going to trade him. That's a tough sell, man. I was just reading about uh, there was a column in Newsday about Jeter and just how he's like tearing down the Marlins. I know and how it's going to be like a. How do you sell that as an as a new ownership group? Like, yes, we're getting rid of everyone who all worked for us, and also we're getting rid of the one player who makes it worth coming to games. Yep. How's that going to help attendance? I mean, it'll help their payroll, but how's that going to help? I don't know. That's a whole different conversation. Yeah, literal the literal MVP. That's the first thing you do. You get rid of him. <laughs> Billy Bean wouldn't even do that. Like that's when you know it's bad. <laughs> nah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So uh, we're gonna revive an old segment. <laughs> Those of you uh, longtime listeners <laughs> will know this one because we've only done it once, and it was like the third episode. <laughs> that was the that was the uh, bi coastal episode. Yeah, that was the long distance one. Yeah. Um, Interesting a, that we're gonna look each other in the eyes while we hot take right? this. It'll be, it'll yeah, be it's a little thing called taking all the way um if you don't know if you forgot if you haven't listened since then which i wouldn't blame you um uh we uh we pick a topic or a few topics and just uh and spew out some some piping hot takes about it and this one uh we want to see where's Giancarlo stanton gonna end up who's he gonna be playing for when when april rolls around came into face cespedes last night and gave up an rbi double to him and cespedes taking all the way on the first pitch it's all right so you ready i don't know are you ready I think that I am. All right. My prediction is Jerry Depoto trades every single player on the Mariners roster to the Marlins for Giancarlo Stanton <laughs> and then signs Ichiro. And they just have Giancarlo Stanton pitch and Ichiro play the outfield. Yeah. That's my hot take is that Jerry Depoto finds some way to flip every single liquid asset that the Mariners have into Giancarlo Stanton. And everyone's like, it's probably some kind of gain in war, but also you don't have a team now, so <laughs> yeah. No, but like if he does it's that, like eight hundred minor leaguers traded for Giancarlo Stanton. But if he does it, he's not going to do it like all in one. You know, it's going to be like forty different trades <laughs> that like leads up to it. He already and then, made a and trade, then the, and then the pin drops, and everyone's like, uh, "Oh yeah, yeah." With he, the A's, he traded with the A's. No, he traded with the Yankees too. Yeah. Okay, so two trades. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They traded. I had to write some little three paragraph thing yesterday. Yeah, yeah they the, traded for like a couple like two minor league relievers. relievers for one of the Yankees minor league like somehow that kind of trade is going to lead to some chain reaction into them trading 40 players for Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah. And then he's going to be there and everyone's going to be like, "Well, why? You're still a 500 team." <laughs> <laughs> They're still going to finish 80 and 82. <laughs> All right, who you got? Who's your hot take? Where's our boy going? Where are we going to watch him mash 60 home runs this year? You know what's going to happen? I don't. I want you to tell me. <laughs> I think Giancarlo Stanton is going to be an angel. And the only way it happens is if the angels give up. Mike Trout. You know it, Mike Trout. <laughs> and the reason this is going to happen is because... Mike Trout on the Marlins, you found some way to make it worse than him being on the angels. You put him on the <laughs> no. Marlins. Thank you for that. <laughs> the only reason this would happen is because it's very clear the angels aren't interested in making their team better. But they would absolutely do something that like maintains them at the level they're at and not make them worse, right? I feel like there's only, there's a very hard capped ceiling when you have Albert Pujols subtracting like four war from your team in yeah. one year. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, they're not willing to uh, to add very much around Mike Trout. So they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to make the most lateral move possible and just uh, get one of the other best players in baseball. Thank you for committing baseball sacrilege and sending the best player of our lifetimes to the worst franchise in history. Ooh, in history. I appreciate wow. that. Wow. The Marlins are the worst run franchise in baseball history, I feel like. Yeah. It's pretty safe. God, it's so make. weird. They had like promise a couple years ago. They were everyone's like sleeper pick. They won the World Series in 2003. Well, yes, I know. And yeah, they were everyone's sleeper pick a couple years ago. They have an amazing outfield. Imagine adding Mike Trout to it. Yeah. They just have no other players or pitchers. Yeah, literally none. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that'd be fun though. Except Naj, nah, I don't know, I don't know what's worse, Mike Trout or Giancarlo Stanton in my league. Do I want Mike Trout like no, I don't want killing, no, killing you, the. You're trading him to my league now too. <laughs> now you're putting Mike Trout in my league. It's just this. This hurts both of the us. Mets this lose. makes neither the A's nor the Mets happy. <laughs> the Mets lose five more games a year just for Mike Trout doing Mike Trout things. <laughs> the Mets are now going 500 against the Marlins instead of beating them 17 out of 19 times. Yeah, and Giancarlo Stanton still takes every pitcher, A's pitcher, yard like three different times yeah i was i was gonna say like five different times a game and he only comes up to the plate four times so i don't know that how that happened but he made it work he against hits the it A's. so far <laughs> that it counts for two home runs <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he's gonna end up somewhere it'll definitely be one of these two teams and when that happens you can you can uh you can say tipping pitches credit us they they had it first we will literally sue you if you don't credit us yes so there's a journalism practice where you credit the person who comes up with the story first yep and it's it doesn't even matter if it wasn't sourced or reported. Like even if they just made a guess, this is sourced. You, you no, legally, have on the you legally have to credit us. I on got this. guys in the Marlins organization. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh tight. I got dudes that are talking directly to Derek Jeter. Yeah, Yo, you got DJ up. Uh, he said on speed dial. <laughs> my boy DJ's in speed dial. He's in my recents. <laughs> yes, he said I uh, I'm actually trading Giancarlo to the Mariners for 40 minor leaguers. That is actually what he told me. That is sourced. God, how does he find a way to come to the AL West regardless? Are you kidding me? God damn it. <laughs> yeah, you're beat. Ugh. All right, Alex, this was a fun one. Yeah, this was fun. It sort of went off the rails, but I feel like we're it, at our it best. It always does. Yeah, we're at our best when we go off the rails. Yeah, when we get into it. You got anything else to add? Not really. What I will say is we, uh, we're we going to be off for a little bit because we're not going to record next week. So our next episode probably won't come until... I guess probably like a week and a half, two weeks from now. But uh, yeah, get take a little break for Thanksgiving, do a little uh, recuperation. Yeah, enjoy your break though. Enjoy going home. Yeah, you too, man. Yeah, and to all our listeners, happy holidays to you as well. Play this for all your relatives, please do. <laughs> Tell them that this is how you spend your free time. I'm glad that you're making a flight back out to Oakland for Thanksgiving. That'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be uh, nice. My mom texted me a couple days ago asking if what was the final plan for whether you were coming back to philly with me for thanksgiving like you did last year and i was like no he's flying home and she was like oh okay (laughs) just hit me with the oh okay but that's just the way my mom texts but the way that it reads to a 21 year old is like oh (laughs) sad (laughs) but anyway uh in all seriousness it's cool that you're going home and we will be able to play this for two separate families yes exactly (laughs) i'm just gonna put my phone in the center of the table like right next to the stuffing it's gonna be bursting this out loud yeah it's one way to not talk about politics at the thanksgiving table you play tipping pitches huh yeah we only like vaguely you worried about what's happening with this administration (laughs) just divert their attention (laughs) we only vaguely ran kind of parallel with the gentrification thing that's kind of politicsy but it was more for the fun of it yeah and everyone's like it's happening the split is more whether it's good or not but like y'all can get into that we'll leave that to you (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> all right. Um, well, anyway, thank you for listening. If you made it through all of this and you scrolled through our blog post, God bless you. Email that to us and we'll shout you out in the next episode because. <laughs> um, but anyway, enjoy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your holiday if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving. Yeah, and we will see you soon. Yep. Thanks, y'all. We need like we need like a uh, music for this. I know. It's gonna be like. Oh, that's what that's the music I mean. I'm just gonna clip that and replay it, play it over and over again. It's just gonna be going.